Today we're going to hear another message given by Jesus to his disciples in what's called the farewell address. In this address, Jesus is giving final words before he prays a final prayer before he's crucified. Now in this time, we've been saying for several weeks now that the hearts of the disciples are troubled. Jesus told them that he's going away and they cannot follow him at this time. They're beginning to see that he means he's going to the cross. Death awaits him. And they're starting to understand that everything is about to change. So they are confused, disoriented, and fearful. And that's why it is so kind and wise of Jesus to give these last words to his disciples. It's so kind and so wise of Jesus to give the Holy Spirit to the church and to his disciples because he's going away. The Spirit and the Word to guide them and to keep them while he's gone. We believe, based on Jesus' own words in John 17, that these words in the Bible and these words that Jesus gave to his apostles on this night before he died are words for us. Because Jesus said this is for the apostles and for all who will believe in him through their testimony, their word, and here we are. So we believe this is for us. And we receive the word of Christ for the living of these days. We receive it as the word of God. We're looking at the farewell discourse. Jesus, we've seen five messages so far in John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus has said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to come again. We're going to be together. And then he said, love me and keep my commandments. And then he said, love one another while I'm gone. Take care of each other. And then he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, who's going to be your helper. And then he said, abide in me. So today we're on the sixth of these messages, and it's a different kind of message. The message that Jesus gives today is one that we would think he would want to keep hidden. We would think he would want to keep this tucked back in the back so he can get people in first and then give them this message. Because you would think that Jesus would be afraid that when they hear this message, they might turn away and walk away. But Jesus doesn't hide. He tells them the way it is. It's a message of reality that Jesus is putting before the disciples and before the church today. A message of reality. And so I want us to hear it today. Stand with me, if you will, in honor of God's word. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. Now, you know I mention J.I. Packer often around here in the book, Knowing God. Let me do it again. One of the main and most important things I've ever, I ever learned from the theologian and professor J.I. Packer was not, it was not necessarily a deep theological truth. It certainly wasn't a novel perspective on God. One of the most important things I ever learned is to live realistically. 
I learned from him in the book Knowing God to be a realist. Packer says, unreality, unreality is the message that in the gospel and by faith in Christ, we will find a kind of life where our problems go away. That's unreality. Unreality is we'll have no more struggle with the world and the flesh and the devil if we just have faith in Christ, and that's the promise of the gospel. Reality, he says, is that it is normal. It is normal that the Christian will find temptations and conflicts and pressures to actually increase because of being a Christian. He says another unreality is that when we experience hardships in life, when they come to us, Unreality is we can always know why, and therefore we can pray our way out, we can repent our way out, and we can rededicate our way out of the trials of life. That's unreality. Reality, he says, is that these things are ongoing, and they are actually God-appointed. God-appointed means trouble is with the flesh the world the devil God appointed means to lessen our self-trust and increase our dependency upon God God appointed means by which we are conformed to the image of Christ leading to holiness he says this is the work of grace the work of grace is the work of salvation yes we're saved by grace And the ongoing work of grace is that God is working in our lives through these very means of hardship and tribulation and trial and suffering to make us more and more like Christ. We find no truth and no help in unrealistic, idealistic, naive teachings and notions that somehow if we just had more faith and more repentance and more dedication, we would get out of trouble. J.I. Packer Every mature Christian, you and I, we get this realism from Jesus right here in John 16, 33. The apostles got it there too. Along with all the New Testament writers and the apostles like James and the writer of Hebrews and Peter in the book of 1 Peter and Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians, they all got it. From Jesus, realism that Jesus is talking about in this passage. In fact, I would encourage you, here's your assignment. I've been, last night I read uh, 1 Peter. It's short, don't be impressed. It's very short. Read 1 Peter last night. You can read 1 Peter in a few minutes. Here's your assignment. Read it. Read it tonight. Read it this week. It's all about what we're going to talk about today. I'm just not going to be able to preach from it because I'm preaching from here. They all got, all the New Testament writers got this lesson uh, in realism from Jesus. And they passed it on to us. Here in John, Jesus is giving a realistic message about being a Christian and about being the church in the world right now in 2022. Man, if this ever applied, it does now. All around the world, not just with us, all around the world. In the world, you'll have tribulation. 
He's giving us this message for today while we await his return. This is what Jesus said. He said, life's going to be hard, but not without hope. So take heart. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. We're going to take the text in three points and an exhortation. You thought I was going to say poem. That's kind of the way it usually works. Three points, three points and a poem, but no, three points and an exhortation. This is what he said. What we're going to see. Jesus prepared his disciples with his word. We're going to see how he prepares us. Jesus promised something. He promised both hardship and victory. And Jesus provides peace. We're going to be exhorted at the end of this to take heart. Jesus prepared his disciples. That's the first thing. Point number one, Jesus prepared his disciples. Now he is preparing us the same way, the church in the world, with his word. This is how he said it. Look at verse 33. I have said these things to you. Jesus spoke. It is a simple powerful, preparing truth. Jesus spoke. He gave us words. What words? What did he say? What are these things that he said to us? Once again, we would affirm that Jesus is talking about all the scriptures. We say this often here. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. He said the Old Testament is the word of God. The Lord has spoken. The Old Testament points to him. The Old Testament bears witness to him. Jesus is referring to the New Testament that wasn't yet written when he's saying these words because he prepared his apostles to write the things that he said to them. And the New Testament then expounds on Jesus and explains Jesus as the Holy Spirit, in fact, brought to the memory to the apostles of the words of Jesus. That's the word he's speaking, the word, the scripture. There are particular portions in the scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit that record the very teachings of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. That's capital G, the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See, we're getting, we're narrow, we're getting down to, to these words here today. And then there's the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 15, and 16, what we're in right now. The farewell discourse. This is the specific thing that Jesus said, specifically about tribulation that they are going to experience in the world. The point we're making is that Jesus spoke. He taught. He gave the word to prepare them and us for what is coming. Jesus is so kind and so wise to give advance notice. Several verses in this farewell discourse, they're in chapter 15 and chapter 16, where Jesus is expounding on this last verse of chapter 33 or verse 33 when he says you'll have tribulation if you go back and look in chapter 15 and 16 you see where he talks a lot about that I'll summarize a few points for you this is what he said about tribulation in the world this is how he's preparing his disciples for what's coming this is the advance notice he said number one in chapter 15 verse 18 the world hates Christ now why would the world hate Christ because Christ testifies that its works are evil John 7, 7, Jesus said it very clearly. The world hates Christ. Why? Because Jesus says the works of the world are evil. And then the very necessity of the cross says that sin is so sinful 
that only a Savior can atone for sin, and the sinner can't atone for his own sin. That exposes the sinful heart. The world hates him for that. That's the result of being exposed by the saving work of Christ is that we need it. And it is met by a dismissal or a hatred. That's a strong word. The world hates Christ. It's a strong word, I know. But that's what Jesus said. Those are Jesus' words. It seems to me that we could understand them this way. In light of who Jesus is, now think about it. In light of who Jesus is, the eternal Son of God, who took humanity, human flesh to himself, in light of who he is, anything less then full trust and worship of Jesus Christ looks like hate because he deserves full trust and full worship so much. He's the son of God. That's what Jesus said, preparing his disciples for what's to come. The world hates Christ. The second thing he said is the world hates the church, the disciples. Why? Because they first hated Christ. Because God's choosing of sinners out of the world by grace shows that, in fact, Sinners must be chosen by God to be saved. Grace actually, for some, grace received actually brings freedom to those who believe, but grace observed in another person often leads to contempt. Who do they think they are? They think they're better than we are? Answer, no, we're not better than anybody. It's all by grace. But when the grace is not received, it's not understood, it's, re- it's looked at with contempt. The world hates the church, Jesus said. He, Jesus said this in John 15, 19. But he's preparing them. So he's prepared them with that. The world hates me, the world will hate the church. But then he goes on to say in John 15, 26, but I'm going to give you the helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this is, this is interesting. Why why did he give the Holy Spirit? We think, well, he gave the Holy Spirit so we can just be spiritual, be have fun, be something. No, he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you will be my witnesses in the very world that hates you. That's why I'm giving you the Spirit. To witness to my grace and my cross, my resurrection in the very world that hates me and you. I'll give you the Spirit. Then Jesus goes on to say that he gave these words so that they would be realistic about what's to come, not grow disillusioned, and not fall away. John 16, 1 through 4, he said, I'm, I'm telling you this right now. I'm telling you in advance so that when it happens to you, when you have this hardship and this tribulation, you will not fall away. The tribulation, this, this pressure, the fear, the chaos of, coming, of the coming hour, Jesus said, is going to cause you to be scattered. He said that just in the verse prior to what we just read, in chapter 16, verse 32, he said, you're going to be scattered. I'm warning you. I'm giving you advance notice. I'm preparing you. You'll be scattered. But we see later, I'm going to regather you. These are the things that Jesus spoke to prepare his disciples and his church. And you know what? They happened. Acts chapter 8, he actually uses these words. When the persecution broke out in relation to Stephen, the church was scattered. Same thing Jesus said was going to happen in John 14, 15, and 16. But when it happened, they were prepared. Do you know that the church stayed true? Did you know that when the persecution broke out in relation to Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, where the apostle Paul was, 
They didn't throw up their hands and say, it's over, it's despairing. They said, we will remain true, we will, we will remain faithful, we will preach the gospel, we will love Christ, we will love the very world that's persecuting us. Why? Because Jesus had prepared them well. He gave them His Word. That's the point here. Jesus is wise, Jesus is kind to prepare us so that we will remember His words, we will believe in Him, and we will not fall away. Do You know, when you read the Bible, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read these chapters in the farewell discourse, when you, when you read this, what you're hearing is the concern of Jesus for us. Jesus is concerned for us enough to prepare us <clears throat> by giving us the Word. And the church, the church is prepared for what is to come by hearing and heeding the word. I have a sense of that in this very moment. This moment. Yes, this season, this year, but I mean this moment, it's 1121. I have a sense that right now, God is preparing us and preparing His church, and He's doing it all around the world. Every time the gospel is being preached, the word is being preached so that we will not fall away. We will not be disillusioned. We will be realistic in what is to come. It seems to me there's a connection. I've observed this in individual Christians and in churches. It seems to me there's a connection <clears throat> between being unprepared and therefore falling away or compromising on the one hand and being wordless on the other hand. It seems to me that every time the Word of God is downplayed or abandoned or ignored, then the church and the Christian is not prepared. And Jesus is bringing it together because He loves us. I've spoken these things to you. These are my words. So to be realistic we're to have a straightforward, believing, reading, hearing, studying of the Bible. Get one. Get a Bible. Get one. And get into it. Read it. Get on a plan. Set a time. Schedule it. Open it. If you're a marker, mark in it. I'm not. But if you are marking it, let it get into you. Talk about it. Jesus is preparing his church. These things I've spoken unto you, he said. Second point. Jesus promised his disciples and us and the church in general. Jesus promised two things. He's promised us tribulation and he's promised us victory. But he said... It's in the world. So let's look at the world first. In the world, he said, you will have tribulation. The world is the context for all these words that Jesus said. Isn't that interesting? In the world. Jesus doesn't want us to come out of the world. Let's live in the world. Go to work tomorrow, today, whenever. Go to work. Be around people. We don't isolate. Be aware of what's going on. We're not out of the world. We're in the world. But we're not of the world. What does that mean? It means that Christ, by virtue of salvation, by virtue of converting us to Him, has taken us from the 
darkened values, the darkened mindset, the hostility toward Christ, and put us into the kingdom of his son, Jesus. So we're not out of the world, but we're not of the world. We're in it. The world is a, we could say, a location. That's usually the way we think. We think spatially, don't we? In the world, we think, oh, that means on the earth. Well, it does in a sense. It does. It means on the earth. In other words, as long as there's life on this earth, the church will be on this earth, and it is in, on this earth that the church, that Christians will have tribulation until Jesus returns with a new heaven and a new earth. So it is, it is a location. But in John, in the Gospel of John, world means more than location. World in John has a lot to do with mindset. It has a lot to do with disposition, we might call it, or stance toward Christ. And in the Gospel of John and in, in throughout the New Testament, the word world usually refers to the stance of unbelief and hostility toward Christ. That's the context of the tribulation. In fact, that's the reason for the tribulation. The reason that the church will experience tribulation is because Christ has called us out of this mindset, out of this hostility into him, but has kept us in this environment of hostility. The world is what he's talking about. It's the context. There are times when the world seems more or less favorable to Christianity. There are times when Christians seek the favor of the world to greater or lesser degree. But do not be deceived. In the world, because of the hatred of the world for Christ, we, the followers of Christ, the church, will have tribulation. We will. That does not mean that we hate the world. Quite the opposite. This is where Christianity just messes with our head. The world, he says, hates me. The world will hate you because the world hated me. But guess what? You can't hate the world. Instead, we love the world as God so loved the world and gave his only son. We do good in the world as God made humans in his own image. It simply means that the world, as that which is hostile to Christ and the gospel, is the place where those who are in Christ will have tribulation. And then he gives the promise, and I just gave it. You will have tribulation. I remember when I was first learning about promises when I was a new Christian. You know, when you're a new Christian, everything's new. And so somebody said, there are promises in the Bible. And I'm like, really? Huh. Yeah, you got eternal life. You have the Holy Spirit. Nothing will separate you from God's love. I'm like, man, this is great. I'm loving these promises. And somebody said, you know, there's another promise. It's this. In the world, you'll have tribulation. I'm thinking, time out. It's a promise. In one sense, this is the nature of life for everyone on earth. Everybody's. Life's hard for everybody. So if you see somebody, in, take, take faith out of it for a moment. You see somebody, you don't know if they're a Christian or not, but it just looks like their life is totally together. Everything's great, and you start to get envious. Just remember, life's hard for everybody. Everybody's got something externally or internally that's going on. So in one sense, we could say, yeah, you know, 
in the world you have tribulation. Well, that's kind of common knowledge, isn't it? But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. The Christian experiences these things as a Christian. The Christian experiences the hardships of life because he or she is a Christian. Peter, I, I told you to read First Peter today, didn't I? Peter says that the Christian experiences these things uniquely from the perspective of enduring faith, enduring patience as God has called us to suffer. What are the struggles, what are the temptations, what are the trials of the Christian? Well, in this world, certainly we war with the flesh. That's a Christian phrase that we use a lot. War, battle, struggle with the flesh. Christians use that term to refer to the old self that, was, that they were before they were converted to Christ, before they were born again. There's an old self, and that old self, though he has been crucified with Christ, until the final day continues to war. And if you have that internal battle going on inside of you, that's what's happening. You say, what's happening to me? What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. It's normal. You're battling with the flesh. You're warring with the flesh. And as long as we're in this world, on this earth, in these bodies, until Christ returns or we meet him before then, through death, we are going to wrestle with the flesh. And then there is the attack of the devil. I prayed from 1 Peter just a moment ago about the roaring lion who seeks, prowls around and seeks to devour. This is a reality. I know we don't want to go around talking about it too much because it makes us look weird. You know, the world's going to think we're so weird we're talking about the devil. Listen, the devil's real. He's a spiritual reality. He's anti-God. He's anti-Christ. He's anti-church. He's not going to let up on us until he's finally put down and crushed under the foot of Jesus. Until then, he's going to attack. You don't have to be weird about it. It just it is. And we struggle with that. That's, that's part of, the, that's part of the, the, the tribulation that's going on for the Christian today and the church today. Then, so we've talked about the flesh, the war of the flesh and the attack of the devil, but then there's the pressure of the world. And this is, this is really the focus of Jesus in this passage. There's a pressure that comes upon the Christian and is coming to the church to conform to the world. The pressure. Now, I've heard numerous times in the past couple of years, never seen it like this for the church. Well, maybe here. But it's been like this for the church since the church. The pressure to conform started in the book of Acts prior to that. The pressure to conform started with Peter being questioned by the slave girl as whether or not he knew Jesus. And the pressure's never let up. The, compressor to, the pressure to conform our thinking to the thinking of the world, which is hostility toward Christ, or to give in, or to compromise the truth. The pressure is great to compromise the truth. The pressure is great to take the edge off. The pressure is great to change what we believe so that we will be acceptable. The pressure is strong, folks. This is the tribulation of the world. Sometimes it comes with actual, real, physical persecution, sometimes psychological persecution, but it's there. It's all connected. The flesh, the world, the devil, it's all, it's all connected in there. We don't need to separate it out too strongly. In the world is part of what 
stirs up the flesh. The devil's attacking us at the weakness of our flesh. When we do, when we give in, we're living like the world. You see, it's, it's, all, it's all in there together. But the point for now is to notice that this is a promise. A strange promise, yes, but this is a promise. But it's a promise designed to bring us, as we said, back into realism. To give us advance notice. To keep us steady when we experience it. Again, new Christian. Very often, the new Christian will say, what's wrong with me? I was so happy for about a month. Now my life seems to go upside down. It seems to be worse than it was when it started. And I had a friend who about three months after verbally confessing Christ walked away from the faith. Because he said, this is too hard. Jesus is giving us a promise to bring us into realism. To say, it's going to be hard. Stay steady. But that's not the only promise he gave us. Continue on. It, it is good. I have overcome the world. Jesus promises victory. Victory, here, here's how it works. In the world of sin, Jesus became sin and paid its penalty on the cross. Victor. He's the victor over our sin because he paid its penalty. In the world of hostility toward God, Jesus bore that hostility on the cross to tear it down and to reconcile sinners to God. He's the victor. In the world of rebellion... Jesus gathers his people in submission at the foot of the cross. He's the victor over rebellion. The world that persecutes Christ's people will be convicted to repent and believe when they watch Christ's people suffer. That's the message of 1 Peter. When the, when the world watches Christians suffer faithfully for the glory of God, it will bring many people in the world to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. He's the victor. And where there is not repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, the world's persecution of the church will only confirm the world's unbelief and judgment as those who in Christ, take up the cross and follow him. He's the victor. At the cross, our flesh was crucified with Christ. At the cross, the devil was disarmed of his accusations against you. That ought, now, that ought to get you excited. What causes the most guilt and shame and doubt and despair in your life? Is it not the accusation of the evil one against you? And in light of the cross of Jesus Christ, you can look back and say, true. And Jesus died for every one of those sins, and I am now free. No condemnation. Jesus is the victor. And the world's hostility will be made pointless when Jesus is finally declared Lord of all. The cross 
And then, guess what? He rose from the dead. Jesus is the victor. I have overcome the world. Christian, we overcome with Christ by faith. John, this writer, wrote a letter later in the New Testament. It's called 1 John. In there he said, this is the victory that overcomes the world. We say, Christ, John said, our faith in Christ. Christ overcame the world. We overcome with Christ when we trust Him, when we walk with Him, when we submit to Him. Our faith. Jesus gives the promise, I have overcome the world. We are to abide in Jesus. This is the connection to everything Jesus said prior to this in the farewell discourse. Abide in me, he said. When you abide in me, when you walk with me, when you hear my word, when my word is in you, you will be in faith. You will overcome the world with me because I have overcome the world. Jesus says, I am going to get you through the world all the way home. Do you believe this? Do you believe in Christ? Do you trust the cross of Christ? Do you hear the call of Christ to come out of the world and to come into Him by faith? When we do, Jesus then provides peace. That's the third thing I want you to hear. And the final thing, Jesus provides peace. He said, I've said these things to you that in me, in me, Key phrase, in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But in me you're going to have peace. Take heart. I've overcome the world. This is not false peace. This is a sure peace. This is, the, this is the, the, the peace of the victory of the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead according to the Scriptures. Peace is not naive dismissal of reality. I have a sense. I have a sense that right now the person who says he or she has peace is usually going to be dismissed as putting their head in the sand. I have, a sense, I have a sense that if someone says, you know, I, but, I'm, but I'm at peace about this, the answer would be you cannot be about peace about this. You cannot have peace about this. You should not be at peace about this. This is bad. Yeah, it's bad. But he has overcome the world. And we're fighting and we're warring, but we're doing it with peace. Hopefully, that's what I want anyway. Jesus said, John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. In other words, the world can't give you the kind of peace you're looking for. It's not there. You won't find it. You cannot set your hope on anything in this world. Anything. Everything in this world is going to crumble. Everything. It's not the peace that the world gives. This is the peace that only I can give you, and you're only going to find it in me. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's what Jesus said. Do we take Jesus at his word? I'm not sure. Praying, 
reading, wrestling, trying to figure out how this Word of God meets our reality. This is what he said. My peace I give to you. The farewell discourse opens with these words. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. It closes with these words. Take heart. Jesus is wanting us to hear these words and receive them and believe them because he wants us to have peace. He wants us to have peace as the tribulation continues. He wants us to have peace as the unsettledness is there. He wants us to have peace while the war is raging. He wants us to have peace with every punch in the battle. He wants us to have his peace. The peace of knowing that he overcomes the world. He says, take heart. Heart, lack of heart is our problem. Our problem is lack of knowledge. Yes, we lack knowledge. We need to read our Bibles. We need to study theology. We need to know the truth. And along with that, we need for God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to restore our hearts. We need courage. May God grant it to us. Take heart, he said. I give you my peace. This is a word. It's a word for those who yet to believe. Jesus is your only peace. Come to faith in Christ. It's a word to those who, you, who do believe. Be prepared. Come on, let's read. Let's read the words. Let's prepare the heart. Let's get ready. Let's stay stable. This is a word for the church. The collective church, the congregation. Here it is for the church. Don't give up on the truth. Don't shave the edges off because it's unpopular or gets tough. Don't hate the world back. Bless those who persecute you. And let's encourage one another with these words. Father in heaven, only you can renew and make strong your humble and weak church.